This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Next minute or so, we're just going to begin. Just wanted to let you know that you can be seated, or if you have friends outside, you can call them in. Uh, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Before we pray, I just wanted again to remind each of you, I know we had a number of people here at the last session, that if you get your your uh, card, your yellow card, you want a sticker from Alyssa, you'll receive your own literature evangelism training kit. It's your basic training kit, and you'll receive, it's the GYC edition, and including four books that we will include as well. And so, just be sure to see Alyssa, who is in the back. Before we begin with the seminar, we always like to start off with prayer and a testimony. And the person who will be praying and giving the testimony this morning is Christine Carter. She graduated from Souls West. I had the privilege of having her as my student. She's a canvasser in the Southern California Conference area. That's where she has canvassed. And she's led there as well, and now she's doing Bible work in the Norwalk area. And I've asked her to share a testimony in literature evangelism, and that's what we are covering. So you will be able to listen to a story of how literature evangelism has impacted Christine's life and also how she was able to reach out to others. Before we share, um, let's go ahead and bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for drawing us here together, for bringing us from all over the world to GYC, where we can seek your will and seek your word. Father, I pray that you will continue to touch our hearts and to reach out to us as we seek to share your word with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Like Mike said, um, my name is Christine, and I'm from Southern California. I've done literature evangelism there, I've been leading as well, and I've gone to Souls. When I started doing literature evangelism, I did it as a way to share my faith with others. And we, through the programs, we have what's called divine appointments, where we meet someone in a, some type of circumstance where only God could bring it together. And what has kept me in literature evangelism is actually realizing that this answers prayers. I remember one instance, it was about six months or so ago, uh, when I was with Souls West, we were on a two two or three week blitz where we would go door to door for that time period doing literature evangelism. I met a woman, as soon as she saw me, she looked at the books in my hand and she said, is that about God? And I said, yes, of course, I'm Christian. We have Christian books. And she's like, oh, okay, um, how, how is it donations? How much does it cost? I gave her the donation range, and she's like, okay, wait right here. I'll be right back. She runs in her house, shuts the door behind her, and waits a few minutes. She comes back out, and she's like, here, um, what, what books do you have? And I started to share with her one called Man of Peace, which is based off of the desire of ages. And she just looked at me, and she says, you have no idea what this means. This morning, I prayed to God that he would send someone to my door to tell me about him. And this is exactly what I needed. And it was so powerful to know that, that God answers prayers directly like that and that he uses literature evangelism to do that. 
Um, in Isaiah chapter, chapter 6 and verse 8, God asks, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? There are some people who, for whatever reason, whether they're not comfortable, whether they're not, not sure where to go, they, they don't want to go to church. They don't know if it's the right church. They don't feel like they belong there. So God asks us to go, to go to them and to find them and to seek them out so their prayers can still be answered. And that's what literature evangelism does. Thank you, Christine, for sharing. We will be looking today at the first and the last literature evangelists. And welcome again to the Literature Evangelism Seminar. And this one is entitled Streams of Light. And if you have not seen Alyssa already, feel free to find her. We want you to be able to have your own Literature Evangelism starter packet. Just to review our last session, we covered the great controversy and the great solution. We talked about darkness. We talked about Satan. We talked about how he is trying to misrepresent God's character. And let's just see if the PowerPoint can come up. We have some of the quotes that I want to go over. Thank you for all your hard work. All right. Let's do this. Sometimes it'll it won't help. Let's see if we can get it going now. There we go. All right. Thank you again. Well, we have, as usual, just a little bit of a technical delay. Just to recap a little bit of yesterday's, or excuse me, the last seminar was we talked about the character of God, and the first issue or the first problem was individual spiritual darkness. And we talked about how the devil, what he wants to do is blind the mind of those in the world. And God's solution is let there be light, that we are to be individual lights. And we talked about this quote that just before us in the closing struggle of the great controversy, when with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of all righteousness, Satan is to work to misrepresent What, everyone? Do you remember? The character of God. That's right. And Satan is is he's falsifying God's character. And our job as evangelists, if you remember this, our job as evangelists is to labor to do what? To labor so that we can share the clearest and fullest manifestation of God's character. And we talked about corporate spiritual darkness in Isaiah 60, verse 2. And then we looked at the great controversy how we see the whole, the, the study of God's character is the entire or the very subject of the great controversy. And we also talked about light, 
And the solution to darkness is prophecy. And of course, we talked about the quote where it says, in a large degree through our publishing house is to accomplish the work of that other angel. And we're going to be looking at that quote again. So now we're going to be looking at literature evangelism in the Bible. Now, I talked about this yesterday. I'm going to share it again. Isn't it fascinating that of all the methods that God could use to record his story, the story of Jesus, that he didn't have a DVD set, that he doesn't have a CD, he doesn't have audio tapes, he doesn't have it on a Kindle, he doesn't have it on record, what he has chosen as his method for preserving the story of redemption is what, everyone? The written word. Yesterday, we talked about the importance of literature. The last session was the importance of literature evangelism. In this session, my hope is that you will try literature evangelism. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to be looking at different evangelists in the Bible, specifically literature evangelists. And does anyone know who the first literature evangelist was? All right, God, what, what was the literature? Before that, Ten Commandments, that's correct. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Go in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10 as we look at the first literature evangelist in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Of all of God's means of preserving the story of redemption, of all of the ways that God could have chosen to have the children of Israel have the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy 10 verse 4, notice what he did. Deuteronomy 10 verse 4, are we all there? The Bible says, and he wrote on the tables according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spoke unto you in the mount of the midst of the fire, in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them unto you. Do you guys see that? Who was the writer? God. He was the editor as well. And what did he do? He gave it. You see that? How he gave literature to someone. So we can see that God being the first literature evangelist in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 4. Before we go into more of these stories, I have a couple of quotes. I didn't put them on the screen. But the reason why I want to read these quotes is because I don't know where each of you are or what your story is, but I wasn't always an evangelist. I wasn't always someone who would go and do God's work. I was someone, and actually Arden is my classmate, so he can testify. He, he went to Loma Linda Academy with me, so he saw me back when I was a bad, rebellious kid. I almost got kicked out of schools. Um, I almost blew up the school. We almost lit it on fire. I'm not trying to glorify sin. I'm just telling you that you know I really did have a pass, and if God can pull me out of darkness, he can certainly do that for any of you sitting in this room. And when I gave my heart to God through a series of miracles, I was living in Hollywood, had no interest in, in following God. One day, I just had this, this almost impression to go to the nearest church. And it, it wasn't for good reasons. It was just like, I wonder if God really does exist. And I got lost, and through a series of miracles, I was in the streets of L.A., and I don't know if any of you are from Los Angeles, but, you know, it has the craziest freeway system in, in the world, I think. And when I was somewhere lost in L.A., I let out a prayer, said, okay, God, I'm going to follow the next car, and it better get me to church, and if it doesn't, you can kiss this whole religion stuff goodbye. Well, I 
saw the next car. It was a white Mercedes-Benz. God knew at the time I was in business and it probably had to be some flashy car. So it was a white Mercedes-Benz. I remember that. I turned around. I followed this car. Guess where it took me? It took me to church. And I remember going to church and I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe that was luck. And I remember seeing a bunch of the stained glass windows and I remember thinking, okay, God, I want to see, I want to see you. I want to see you today. I've never seen you before. So I was, I was looking at the stained glass windows and I was waiting for like the angels to pop out or I was waiting for the second coming to actually happen. Like I was, I was literally waiting for something like that. That's, that's what I was praying for or asking God to do. And, And that didn't happen. But you know, the interesting thing is God, he continued to work and afterwards, there was a potluck. And, you know, being a hungry college st- st- student, I stayed for a potluck, and someone ended up talking to me and witnessing to me. Long story short, nine hours later, after witnessing to me and sharing with me, remember my, my prayer request is to see God. I didn't know that I would see him, but through another method, I wanted to see angels pop out of the stained glass windows, and that didn't happen. But he was trying to manifest himself in other ways through his word. And I remember when I left that day, these people gave me a bunch of books, gave me a Steps to Christ, Christ Object Lessons. They gave me What Must I Do to Inherit Eternal Life, a book by Margaret Davis. Um, I, I mean, I had a stack of books. Now, I had nine hours worth of Bible studies, and when it left, I blasted Eminem or whatever hip-hop like as loud as I could, and I tried, tried to drown the voice of God, the conviction. And... When I was back at my apartment, my studio in Hollywood, through a series of miracles, God allowed me to basically be at home, and I basically was going through a Job experience, lost a lot of things, lost my friends, lost a girl I was dating, was even, um, couldn't even work for, the, for a couple days because of a, a physical problem. And so it was me just sitting around, and guess what was around? <laughs> Those books. So I picked one of the books up, and I started to read it. Now, I hated reading books. I think before that time, I maybe had read two books um, my whole first grade through 12th grade. You know, I, I, when I, any paper I did, I did Cliff's, Cliff Notes, Pink Monkey, Spark Notes, whatever online notes there were. That's how I got through my papers, and I wouldn't want to read these books. And so finally, someone leaves me these religious books, and I read these books and it's interesting because books can do something to you that no other sermon can. When it's you alone and no one watching and the printed page and the Holy Spirit touching your heart and, and speaking to you in ways that nothing else can. See, the preacher, he's preaching to maybe... 200 people or 300 people. And yeah, I've had it where sometimes God has customized that sermon to me where it seemed like it was for me. But a book is something different because the the pages and the words and the way that the Spirit brings sins to your mind really were just, just coming at my heart. And I remember... Long story short, August 24, 2002, I remember when I, I fully gave my heart to God and I remember thinking, okay, I gave my heart to God, now what? Ellen White has some quotes I'm going to read from the book Christian Service. If you've never read that book, powerful book. One of my mentors, he recommended that I read Christian Service. I read it. It's changed 
my life, my view on ministry, and also service. Christian service, page 109. So what do you do now that you're redeemed, now that you've given your hearts to God, now that you're here at GYC and you want to serve? Christian service, page 109, it says this, Christ's followers have been redeemed for service. Let me read that again. Christ's followers have been redeemed for service. What have we been redeemed for, everyone? Service. Our Lord teaches that the true object of life is ministry. And here you were wondering, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And you were wondering, what, should I, what path should I follow? It's simple. The true object of life, if you want to know, if you want real meaning in life, it's ministry. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with being a teacher, a doctor, a, a nurse, but understand that that is your excuse for ministry. If you're a nurse... You're really an undercover agent for God. I want you to think about that. It says, Christ himself was a worker, and to all his followers he gives the law of service, service to God and to their fellow men. The law of service becomes the connecting link which binds us to God and to our fellow men. What is the connecting link between God and us? Service. In Ministry of Healing, page 102, it says, This woman represents the working of a practical faith in Christ. Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. Do you know that? That the moment you are born again, the moment that you are converted, the moment that Jesus has impacted your life, you are born as a missionary. No sooner does he come to know the Savior than he desires to make others acquainted with him. One more quote from Publishing Ministry, page 44. Tracks, papers, books, as the case demands, should be circulated in all the cities and villages in the land. Here is missionary work for all. Here we have seen work for all, work for all, work for all. The reason why I really want you all to try literature evangelism, for those of you who haven't tried it, for, there are many people I meet and they say, well, I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I hear my, my thing, well, I'm not called to sing. You know, I don't have a voice of an angel. My wife does, but I don't. And the nice thing about this is literature evangelism, you can do if you're not a preacher, if you are not a pastor, if you're not a good singer, whatever excuse you have, whatever, if you want to call it... Um, unqualified traits that you have, literature evangelism is the solution. Everyone can do it. Let's go to a story in the Bible. Now, we have done a lot of Bible and spirit of prophecy, a lot of history, so this one's going to be real practical. We're going to look at a couple stories. I'm going to share a couple of literature evangelism stories, and then we will be closing. So we talked about God being the first literature evangelist. Let's go ahead and look at someone else. Let's look at Jonah. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4. Let's go to the Old Testament book of Jonah. Jonah is a character who has always fascinated me as a kid. There's a lot of questions I want to ask Jonah, like what kind of fish was it? What was it like being in there? What did it smell like? Jonah chapter 3, most importantly, probably one of the key things about Jonah is I want to see how this brother was able to convert so many hundreds of thousands of people 
And then once that happened, was so upset at his results. I've never heard of an evangelist complaining after a successful campaign. And we have Jonah complaining after all these people give their hearts to God. Jonah chapter 3, notice what it says in verse 4. When you're all there, if you can kindly say amen. That's what the Bible says. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. Excuse me, I meant Jonah four, Jonah 3, verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and he covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. In verse 7, listen to this. And he caused it to be, what is that next word? Proclaimed. What does proclaim mean? To preach, to share. Verse 7, he caused it to be proclaimed, and then what? Published. So there was proclaiming, and there was publishing. Through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Now, question for you. How many thousands of people gave their heart to God? Does anyone remember? The entire city of Nineveh gave their hearts to God. Now, was it just preaching? No, there was proclamation and what? publishing. If you and I want to finish this work, if you and I want this work to go, to to finish this work in our lifetime, it's not just going to be preaching, beloved. It's going to be preaching coupled with publishing. I love what this quote says. Cole Porter Ministry, page 151. More than 1,000 will soon be converted in one day. How many of you have witnessed a thousand people being converted in one day. You know, I've had the privilege of preaching in Africa with almost 800, 900 people attending my seminar. I've had the privilege of preaching in the Philippines with, I think, close to three or 4,000 people in attendance, and it has been a blessing. Now, let me tell you, most of those people were already Adventists. They were not, they were the, the church, they were the saints. This was part of a youth conference. 1,000 people converted in one day. What is that going to be like? Well, it says here, more than 1,000 will soon be converted in one day, most of whom, what's that word? Most of whom will trace their first convictions to the reading of our what? Publications. Here's another reason why I like literature evangelism. Literature evangelism gives me an opportunity to practice faith. You see, when you are a literature evangelist, when you are meeting people at the doors, when you are handing out small pieces of literature, or when you're giving the great controversy, do you see results right there? You don't. When you preach a sermon, you can make an appeal. When you do the health message, you can see results of someone who who say, you know, I was sick earlier, but you gave me this charcoal and I feel better. But when you give a piece of literature to someone... What's, what's the response? What's the best response? Thank you. <laughs> or, I was praying for this. Or, you know, this will really help me. 
That's the best response I've ever gotten in my entire life doing a literature evangelist knocking. I don't know how many doors now. The best result I've ever received in terms of instant gratification has always been thank you. Or I'm, I'm, I'm glad you came here to my door today. I've done an evangelistic series where at the end of the day, 60 people stand up for baptism. And that very night, we've got to witness a watery grave and a resurrection. But when it comes to literature evangelism, that's when you need to practice something called faith. If you look at how the military operates, we have the Coast Guard, we have the Marines, we have the Navy, we have the Army, we have the Air Force. And each of them have different jobs. You have the military that comes in and they do work for the army that gets to actually be the heroes or the Navy SEALs that gets to have the spotlight for taking out uh, a terrorist. But what about all the people who set up the traps, the satellites, the spy equipment? Where's the glory? They set it up for the other people with the glory. A faithful literature evangelist were the set up men. We go out. We do what we do because God has asked us to do it. Faithful service to the master. It doesn't matter what the results are. We're not looking for results. We're only looking to please Jesus. Let's go to my favorite story about publishing. And it's found in Matthew chapter 8. You see it in a few places. Few of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the story of the demoniac. Matthew chapter 8. And let's go ahead and pick it up. Matthew 8 and verse 28. And again, this session of literature evangelism is going to be more inspiration. I'm going to show you more stories. The last two, they're more Bible spirit of prophecy. And when he was come to the other side into the country, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, son of God? Art you come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him saying, if you cast us out, Suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them one word, go. You know, let me just touch on this tangent here. I think it's important. What word does Jesus say? One word. What is it? Go. And what did the devils do? Went, right? Did you know that Jesus uses that word right before he leaves earth? He says, go unto all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Now, now the devils seem to listen to Jesus. What's our problem? Jesus said, go, and the devils went. And here we are, his children, and Jesus, the last words he leaves us is go. And what are we doing? We're sitting. We're not going. I just want you to think about that. 
He said unto them, Go, and when they were, and they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled, and went their ways into the city, and told everything, and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. Now, when I first read this, when I was a new Christian and I was studying this, I thought, wow, they're really happy. They're going to come and see Jesus and thank him. It says, the whole city came to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him that he would what? That he would depart. This confused me for a little bit. I have to confess, without the spirit of prophecy, I was a little bit confused. This brother does a good thing. He rids them of a demoniac problem, and they want him to leave. Now, I'm thankful because Mark and Luke spread more light on this. Let's go and look at this from Mark now. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Matthew, the next book over is Mark. Mark chapter 5, as we are studying, Ellen White calls this chapter the first missionary. Mark chapter 5 and verse, let's go ahead and actually start in verse 15. We'll look at this story a little bit more details. Mark chapter 5 and verse 15. Are we all there? All right, listen to what the Bible says. It says, And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. So we get more details here. Not only was the man who was a demoniac, not only was the demon, not only were the demons cast out, but it says here that he was in his right mind and they were afraid. Do you believe that? There's a couple of funny things with this story. Number one, Jesus does a good thing. They want him to leave. This brother is in the right mind and people are afraid. It's almost as if we like darkness rather than light. Verse 16, and they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Now, I want to give you some background into this story. The people who were herding the swine were Jews. Jews by law were not to be herding the swine. And they were doing things illegal. They were doing things that were against not only the laws of God, but the laws of, the, of being a Jew. And what happened was when the when the, when the demoniacs, when the demons left the demoniacs, they went into the swine. Have you ever wondered why did the devils, why did they ask the question, we want to go to the swine? Have you ever wondered that? They asked the question, we want to go to the swine because they were hoping that by all the swine falling into the water, that the, the farmers, that they would be upset and say, get out of here. You just ruin our livelihood. They were successful. But let me tell you something. When the devil does something, God does something even greater. And what happened was this. Here is Jesus. He's just done something well. But these farmers who have lost their livelihood, these farmers who have now lost, and if you calculate it, I did all the calculations. It was a, a couple hundred of thousand in today's dollars. You find out how many swine there were. You, you, you calculate it by how much swine are sold today. It was a lot of money. And this, this is the livelihood of the farmers here. And what they did is they said, you need to leave our coast. You've destroyed our lives. Keep that in mind. Verse 17, they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. The devil was successful in this story. He just did not count on two faithful men. 
Verse 18, and when he was come into the ship, this is the demoniac. Now, I want you to get a picture of this story. Imagine now that you don't have family or friends. They have left you because you're crazy. You're a demoniac. And here you are. These farmers are probably the only ones who maybe feed you. And now they're upset. They have lost their livelihood. And now you're like, okay, well, there's nothing here for me. So without even thinking about it, you just follow Jesus. Your foot's already in the boat. So these men, they've already come into the ship. Their mind is set. He that had been possessed with the devil prayed him, asked him that he might what? That he might what, everyone? Be with him. Now, here's also another thing I didn't understand about this story for a while. It was hard for me to understand why Jesus would send away someone so sincere who wanted to follow him. So these men, they say, oh, Jesus, we want to follow you. Verse 19. I didn't understand this at first. Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, what does he tell him? That word again, go. That same word, go. Now, I did not understand this at the time. Like, Jesus, these men, they were probably would have been more faithful than Peter, James, and John. They probably wouldn't have left you in Gethsemane. Why would you ask them to leave? It's because Jesus knew that what Jesus could not do. Now, this is powerful. Did you know there are some things that Jesus cannot do? He cannot change a sinner's heart who doesn't want to be changed. He cannot do that. Jesus cannot be in a place when you ask him to leave. He cannot do that. So they have asked Jesus to leave. So now Jesus says, okay, I love these farmers too much. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell these demoniacs, even though they want to come with me, I'm going to say, go. Go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion on thee. Now, verse 20 is powerful. Jesus departed and, or excuse me, and he departed, these demoniacs, and began to what, everyone? Publish. Now, that word publish is proclaim. It's used as preach. The bottom line is they were able to publish, proclaim, preach. This word of their testimony probably was was sent out to everyone. I don't know what happened, but it's interesting that the Bible writers decide to use the word publish instead of proclaim here. Now, something happens. Notice what what happens. He publishes in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And notice what it says. Does it say some men marveled? It says all men. Verse 21. Now, when Jesus goes to the other side, when he passed over again unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. And he was near unto the sea. Do you know why all these people were waiting for Jesus? I want to take a guess. If you read this story in the Desire of Ages, because of the publishing of the demoniac, the former demoniac, when Jesus went to the other side, the word had traveled faster than the ship. And they were ready and receptive to hear Jesus. This is why I believe the word publishing was used here, because what publishing does is it readies us to hear the message. 
That's what publishing does. That's what happens when you read a tract. That's what happens when people are saying, I've read this. I've read this in the news about the end of the world. Tell me more about this great controversy. It's powerful because these former demoniacs were able to do a work that Jesus was not able to do. Did you know that you and I are able to do a work that people in heaven are not able to do? Did you know that angels would love to be in your seats, in my shoes? We have the privilege of doing something that the apostles of old, that the disciples would have loved to do, to see the closing scenes of earth history. We have the privilege. We have the opportunity. What are we doing with it? Let's go look at the last literature evangelist as we have to wrap up in the next few minutes. As I said, we're going to wrap this up, and I have one more testimony. You're going to hear from Alyssa in a minute. Let's go to Matthew 24, verse 14. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. Many of you probably know this this by memory. Matthew 24 and verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible reads, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in where, everyone? Say that one more time. All the world. For a witness unto how many nations? All nations. It's like the Bible wants us to make sure we get the point. It says all the world, and then it says all nations, making sure that we understand that we are to get this message everywhere. It says, and then shall the end come. It's an if-then statement. If you go all the world, if you proclaim, if you tell the world about the gospel, then what will happen? The end. I used to wonder, how on earth are we going to get the message to all the world? How are we going to get the message to all the world? The Bible answers that. Go to Revelation 14, verse 6. We have the three angels' message now. Revelation 14. For those of you who have never had a chance to memorize the three angels' message, I, I, it's a blessing. Spend some time to memorize Revelation 14. It is a blessing. We, I had a men's group. We used to do this, and we used to quiz each other. You and I, are, our marching orders are right here. Revelation 14, verse 6, the Bible says, I saw another angel. Who is that angel? Who is that angel, everyone? Is it a literal flying angel from heaven? The word angel in Greek comes from the word, yeah, it's messenger. It's simply a messenger. We are called to be these three angels, these messengers, proclaiming these messages for the end times. It says in verse 6, another angel, or shall I say, attendees from GYC, flying in the midst of heaven or traveling around the world, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. We have this message to give, and the question is, how are we going to give this message to all the world? Ellen White says, in addition to these three angels' message, did you know there's one more? There's a fourth angel's message. 
that aids the three angels' message. Let's go to Revelation 18, verse 1. Revelation 18, verse 1, and this angel is to work with the three angels that we have just, or that we began to look at in Revelation 14. Revelation 18, verse 1, it says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Does anyone know what this means? Lighting with his glory. Listen to what it says in Publishing Ministry, page 50. And in a large degree through our, what everyone? Publishing work is to be accomplished the work of that other angel who comes down from heaven with great power and who lightens the earth with his glory. How are we going to lighten the earth? Through literature. Through literature. Remember this vision that Ellen White has, the streams of light. She says, after after coming out of vision, she says to her husband, I said to my husband, I have a message for you. You must begin to print a little paper and send it out to the people. Let it be small at first, but as the people read, they will send you means with which to print, and it will be a success from the first. From this small beginning, it was shown to me like streams of light that went clear around the world. Beloved, if you and I want to get this message to all the ends of the world, we can't afford to fly everyone in GYC, or everyone in this conference, or everyone in the North American division to all the places of the world. My wife and I try to travel to a new country each year, and we have a whole, I think, eight or nine countries under our belt. 31 years old. You do the math, how are you going to reach the 140-plus countries? It's impossible. The way we are going to do this work is through the literature that we've been given. As I said before, uh, it's in our blood, it's in our makeup as an Adventist church. Our pioneers published. They were literature evangelists. Not only would they write the stuff, they would also edit it and they would give it away too. I don't know about you, I haven't written any books. I haven't even edited a book. But at least I can hand the books out. Amen? Coalporting Ministry, page 151, it says, more than 1,000 will soon be converted in one day, as we read, and they will trace it to reading of our publications. Let the publications, the papers, the pamphlets be working among the people and preparing the minds of the reading class for the preaching of the truth. I love this one right here because some people, they say, what do I do for people who have accepted the Sabbath message and they no longer can work on Sabbath? This was a a big issue in India where they they make you work on Sabbath. They make you take tests on Sabbath. It says, Cole Porters are meeting with encouraging success in the sale of our books. The light is thus brought to the people, while the Cole Porter, who in many cases has been thrown out of employment by accepting the truth, is unable to support himself. Did you know that Literature evangelism or colporting is the only ministry that gives money back to the church. It says here, accepting the truth, is enabled to support himself and the sales are a financial help to the office. And then it goes on to say, in the days of the Reformation, back in Martin Luther's time, monks who had left their convents, who had no other means of support, traversed the country selling Luther's works which were thus rapidly circulating throughout Europe. 
Cold portage work was one of the most efficient means of spreading the light then, and so it will prove what? Now. So why aren't we doing this work? Why aren't we going forth and spreading these streams of light? At this moment, I have Alyssa. She's going to come up and share a little bit of her testimony of how literature, evangelism, and this work has changed her. I then will give you a small little testimony as well, and then we will close so you can make the 12 o'clock plenary session. It's a good question that Mike asked. Why aren't we doing this work? If it's very plain in the scripture and through spirit of prophecy, the question is in our own lives, why is it that we're not doing it? I was raised into a Seventh-day Adventist home, and my father was a pastor for most of my life growing up. And oftentimes I found myself masking a Christian experience for the sake of my father's job. If people ask me, you know, do you love Jesus? Of course I could say yes. But if they ask me, why do you love Jesus? How do you know that you love Jesus? Do you show that you love Jesus? I couldn't answer that, and I couldn't live like I love Jesus. But later on in life, I remember having an opportunity to go and be involved in um, a three-week program for youth. And I remember some of the leaders and the instructor, instructors that were involved were reading out of this book called Desire of Ages. And growing up as a pastor's kid, you hear all about spirit of prophecy. You walk into your dad's room, and there's shelves of tons of books and opportunities that you've always missed out on but didn't know. And you hear people just reading out of this book. And I just remember my eyes were opened. And I said, I want that book. I want to read it. It was so powerful to me. So I got down on my knees that night and I said, Lord, please send someone. Please send someone who can give me this book, Desire of Ages, because I want to read it for myself. And the next morning, it was right there on my bed. A brand new copy. I never knew who gave it to me until later. But I just knew that it was a direct answer to prayer. Later, I found out that that night, one of my instructors had got on their knees and they had prayed and they said, Lord, I brought an extra copy of Desire of Ages because I felt impressed that someone here was going to need this book to impress their life. God has such a miraculous way. I could have gone back home. I could have found a copy on my dad's shelf, but the Lord knew that that was going to be the experience that would change my perspective of the power of literature. Since then, the Lord has brought me on a journey where I have had the ability to go and to share that same book that reached my life, my Laodicean heart, my mask, the book that helped remove that off and to say this is who I am. I now truly love Jesus. Amen? (laughs) He used that book to change my life so that I can go and share it with other people. I got to do a 10-week summer program where I got to see powerful experiences where that book opened the heart and heart of people and softened it. And now I ask myself, okay, Lord, I did this experience. I saw how literature has changed my, my personal life, but how can it really impact other people? How can you use me to impact somebody else? It's obviously impacted my life, but how can I use it to impact others? And I had been doing door-to-door work for about a year, um, 
I went to a school called Souls West, and so I was doing literature work year-round. And I still, I loved it. I'd had powerful experiences, but I was just missing that one experience where I could say, Lord, this is why you have me doing this work. This is exactly why I'm here. And I remember one evening knocking on the store. This lady comes. She's pregnant. She has other kids around her. You could just see the stress on her face. And I remember we were just having this spiritual conversation. I was telling her about the great controversy. And she started crying to me. And she says, Alyssa, you don't get it. You don't know what it's like. She says, my husband, I don't even know why I'm married to him. He's a Mormon. I don't believe his faith. He's teaching my children lies, and I don't know how to stop it. She says, my children are going to grow up in a home where they're struggling between that great controversy, not knowing what to believe, and I can't do anything about it because my voice is silenced. And she looks at me, she says, what if my children don't go to heaven? And I realized... This is why I do this work. It is people like this when you don't have that time to sit down and explain to them everything. When you don't have time to sit there and do Bible studies with them. When you don't have the time to preach them that sermon. When you don't have that time to go to their house every day and be their friend and minister unto them. You leave that literature to impact their life. When you don't have the time, you have that short minute to leave them literature that will impact them for the rest of their life. I remember a lady coming out of her door uh, a few summers before telling me that she had been listening to Adventist radio. She had been listening and watching 3ABN, but in secret because Adventism was not allowed in her home because her husband would not allow it. So in secret, she was going and she was listening to these radio stations and she was praying, Lord, I want out. I, I don't want my husband um, to know that I'm doing this. I want out, but I don't want to disrespect him. So please give me a way out. And I had 30 seconds at her door to quickly tell her about Jesus and to give her a book when I didn't have the time to be able to give her a book that would impact the rest of her life. A Hindu family, religion not accepted into their home, gets a Bible for a young man who is finally searching. Imagine what that's going to do to their home. Literature can impact people when you don't have the time to sit down and to share with them everything. Someone shared with me once, Ellen White says it in one of her writings, that in the last days, people will come up to you and say, you knew? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me about the truth? Why didn't you tell me about the Sabbath? Why didn't you tell me about the character of God? Why didn't you tell me about God's love? You knew? Brothers and sisters, we know. But what are you doing about it? I don't know about you, but I want to be able to say, Lord, I did the best that I could. I spoke when I should have, and I handed that literature when I should have. You know, what are you doing about it? We can all put out our arm, can we not? Just stick something inside your hand, and that's all you have to do. Give the literature when you don't have the time to sit there and share everything with them. It's as simple as that. Thank you, Alyssa. As an evangelist, my background has been preaching and doing evangelistic series around the world. And this summer, I, for the first time, experienced really something where I saw, while literature evangelism can do something, I can't. And I was, in my head, you know, you get people to a meeting and you let them listen to 
all of the prophecies that we have, and of course they're going to get converted. Well, we had a young person who had been through so many seminars. They've been through the conference evangelists. They've been through, you know, big name speakers before. And this church was very evangelistic minded. And they went through our seminar and I was hoping for change. No change. (laughs) It's like, oh, I hope that through my seminar that she would experience change in her life. Nothing. Same thing. Same worldliness, uh, would say to her mom that she is going to church but really loved to party and do other things. Well, this summer, she decided to do literature evangelism. And through a series of miracles, she was the last one that was in, accepted into the program. And so here's my wife. We're visiting this program. It's week one. Same bitter person. Almost had to send her home. She was skipping doors. I mean, just you name it. Every issue, every problem. Second week. She's starting to, you know, we're, we're having to sit down with her and let her know, hey, look, if you don't shape up, you may have to go home here. There are a lot of people who would have loved to be in your spot. At the end of the second week, beginning of the third week, we see like this light come on and this change happen. Um, she ends up having a powerful experience at the doors. God ends up, ends up using her. And there's something about being at the doors eight hours of the day with no escape plan, when someone drops you off and when you're getting rejected one after the other, where you actually have to pray, where you have to pray not this, this, the ridiculous superficial prayers that we've all prayed, Lord bless this food as we eat, but real prayers that are almost on the point of tears where God comes in and, and really has to work and can say, you know, my child, I can now work with you. <laughs> and that's what happened with this young girl. Week four, week five, she's now texting us. We now go back to the different programs. My wife and I visit as much of the literature programs during the summer. And we get a text and she says, I want to be baptized. <laughs> and I started, I sat there and I laughed. I'm like, what an evangelistic series by some of the best evangelists in the country who have gone to that church an evangelistic series that I just did literally a couple months ago, God was able to accomplish in a couple weeks. I began to realize that literature evangelism does something to the soul that no other work can. So I appeal to you. I implore you. um, I am the biggest supporter behind knocking on doors and really learning the hard knocks that's when you really get to see God working. You will experience him like no way you've ever experienced him before. So my appeal for you is to really consider literature evangelism. We're going to have an opportunity for you to be involved with it. You will hear from the people here who are in charge of it in the Washington and Oregon Conference since this is the Northwest Pacific Union's home where we are right now. So I just want to just, you know, again, appeal to your hearts to serve. Hopefully, you will serve in literature evangelism this afternoon. You will go and reach out to people. And there's always amazing things that God seems to do here at GYC. Why don't we go ahead and stand as we pray? Father in heaven, I want to thank you for each person. I want to thank you for their openness. Lord, we could be doing other things. We could be staying in our hotel room, sleeping. We could be 
going out the streets of Seattle, going to the different shops or restaurants here. But these individuals have made the decision to sit through and listen to the spirit of prophecy and to the Bible. Lord, I pray that you will grant a special blessing upon the seeds, that you will water it, that someone here will will stand up and answer the call and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I want to be a literature evangelist. I thank you so much, Lord, that you use this ministry. Not that you need us, but that we need you. Thank you so much for giving us a means so that we can see our need. We can see our Laodicean attitude. I pray for conversion. I pray for a love for people and a love for you that we don't have. Thank you, Father, for answering this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.